Today's episode of Locked on Women's Basketball is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Hello, basketball fans. Welcome to another episode of Locked on Women's Basketball. I am your Tuesday, Thursday host, Erica Lindsay Ayala. And as we do once a week, usually on Thursdays, or at least recently on Thursdays, we're going to dive into the social justice platform of the WNBA. And this will be the first episode since not only the WNBA, but the NBA Major League Baseball, the National Hockey League, Major League Soccer, and even the NHL, the National Hockey League. And this will be the first episode since not only the NBA and WNBA uh, stepped away from playing games, but that um, a lot of different sports leagues around the country and now we're seeing college football teams have really taken time away from sports to have conversations a lot of conversations that a lot of athletes feel are long overdue about social injustice about racism about police brutality about a lot of different things and we're going to dive into that a little bit but to put things into perspective i want to play an audio clip from Derek Fisher. Now, Derek Fisher, of course, we know has been an NBA coach and an NBA player, an NBA champion. Derek, in his one of his first media availabilities since uh, on October, excuse me, August 26th, the WNBA um, took a day of reflection, took two days of reflection, actually. Um, he's spoken... Uh, This is him speaking after those two days of reflection. And um, I'm going to play this clip because I think it's important to get Derek Fisher's stance on why he feels amplifying his player's voice is his main priority right now. I think we have to understand and take seriously um, that for women, and in particular women of color, you know, it, it's an even greater burden to carry um, because there are a lot of things that, as women, they are fighting for uh, that, um, you know, outside of just race, um, you know, just fighting to be valued and appreciated and respected and supported and invested in. And so to see them over the last couple of days continue right and take an even stronger stance on what is important to them um when they don't have the multi-million dollar contracts and endorsements and opportunities that their male counterparts have um and don't, don't have the platforms that their male counterparts have to still take the risk and take the stand and um make sure that people realize that this is bigger than basketball i just it's it's been inspiring and um you know i feel honored to be here with them as they experience this and you know as as far as our organization is concerned like we're just going to continue to do everything we can to support them 
amplify their voices, their messages, their platforms. Um, it's not even really about how we feel per se. Um, they're the ones that are out there carrying the mantle and we just have to do everything we can to to support them and make sure they have every resource available to them that we can possibly provide. And he talked so much about women, generally speaking, having to really fight to amplify their voices and their voices um, not being perceived as being enough because they don't make enough or because of X, Y, and Z. And I really appreciated where Derek was coming from. Um, I didn't get the sense that he was, you know, kind of kicking the can. I do want to highlight, Derek did not get into this, but Derek Fisher and James Wade are the only black head coaches in the WNBA. No black women are head coaches in the WNBA at this point in time. Derek Fisher didn't talk about that, but it's certainly been a part of the conversation. I want to put a pin in that for this episode, but that is something that I've explored. I've written articles for High Post Hoops, The Guardian, The Athletic. Uh, I've written a lot about this topic, and I do want to get back to it, especially as we transition into college basketball season. The Brooklyn Nets just got a new coach, which is kind of bringing up a lot of these conversations again. So definitely want to put a pin in that. But um, there's something else that, that Derek Fisher said that I think is a really good setup for what I want to talk about in this episode. Here's Derek Fisher talking about, it's one of the basketball questions that he got, but, you know, just talking about balancing a lot of what the WNBA players experienced uh, when they took their days of reflection and how to balance a lot of those emotions whilst in the bubble and still, you know, expect it to perform now that basketball games are back on. Here's Derek Fisher again. You know, I, coming into this season, I think for all of us and for me specifically as a coach, um, really tried not to have uh, expectations of anything uh, that would somehow be that would cause frustration or disappointment um, or a belief that it should have or could have been a certain way. Just really coming into this ready to adjust and adapt to anything that comes up. And um, this is one of those things. And every team is going to deal with it. But in, in my opinion, to sum it all up, um, I, I think it's, you know, it's kind of good. It's good inconvenience. You know, I know. Um, We've talked a lot about getting into good trouble um, from from John Lewis, and this is good inconvenience for these teams and players in the league to have to go through. Um, it, it's a reminder that again, it's it's, it's more than basketball, and um, there are a lot of people out there that um, wish they could play basketball three, you know, three games and four nights. That, that that was their job. That they could play basketball nine games and nine games and 16 nights, that that was all they had to do to fulfill their work obligations. So we're still fortunate and blessed and, and lucky to be in this position. Um, and, I, you know, I think our players, will, they understand that and uh, they'll, they'll figure out how to still be the as best as they possibly can be. And I absolutely loved that Derek Fisher brought up John Lewis and good trouble because I want to ground our conversation uh, actually, in the legacy of John Lewis, for those who may not know, um, John Lewis was a very young organizer, worked 
um, you know, as part of the the very uh, close group that Dr. Martin Luther King had together um, as he was fighting for civil rights. Now, for those who may not know, John Lewis died earlier this year. He died at the age of 80. Um, and he was a representative uh, for the state of Georgia. He died of st stage four pancreatic cancer. But a lot of people know John Lewis as uh, someone who was a part of the civil rights movement. He also uh, is a co-author from his experience of a series of, uh, of graphic novels called March. Um, and uh, in March, I, I was reading my copy after his death. There's this uh, scene where he was known for when people would come to visit him you know, in Capitol Hill, he was known for inv offering a Coca-Cola <laughs> to anyone that came to visit his office. I know someone personally who said that's what, you know, uh, John Lewis did when he went to see him. But anyway, and then he's showing these pictures in his office. And John Lewis says that he was the youngest person to speak at the March on Washington, of which we just celebrated an anniversary. Um, and he said in this graphic novel at the time, that of all of the speakers he was the youngest and he's the only one that's still alive and of course now we've lost all of the speakers from the march on washington um just before the anniversary um a lot of people also know john lewis because he was brutally beaten um in selma in what's known as bloody sunday but the reason i wanted to bring up john lewis is because Mitch McConnell uh, currently has on his desk um, the Voting Rights Act, the John R. Lewis Voting Rights Act of 2020. So it's a renewal of the Voting Rights Act, which as a young man, John Lewis fought for. Um, and this renewal bears his name. It was passed through the House prior to his death, uh, but has not been put to vote um, so just a quick, you know, a little, I'm just a bill, uh, schoolhouse rock lesson, uh, in order to pass a bill into a law, it has to go through both, um, the Senate and the house. Uh, John Lewis was in the house. Uh, so the Senate has to also vote on the bill. And then that ultimately has to be signed by the president. If it goes through the house and through the Senate and the president, chooses to veto then it goes back to congress both branch or uh, you know both um the house and the senate and it can be passed that way just a quick fyi um but S mitch mcconnell has not introduced that legislation to be voted on so it sits dormant unsigned bearing the name of the last living speaker uh, of the March on Washington. And in the next segment, I'm going to explore why I brought up that history of John Lewis, but I wanted to explain it a little bit. And I'll have some references about John Lewis and uh, the John R. Lewis uh, Voting Rights Act. Uh, so you can look it up. Um, and we'll get into that 
coming up next. Let me tell you about You Know It, You Love It, my favorite family-owned business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years, rockauto.com. We know that ever-increasing numbers of makes and models of cars and all kinds of vehicles make it impossible to stock up all the parts you need in just one traditional chain storefront. That's why rockauto.com has you covered. They have everything from engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and yes, even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered right to your door. Best of all, rockauto.com prices are always reliably low and the same for professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? So go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So the reason I wanted to give you a little bit of a history lesson uh, and tell just some stories of, of John Lewis is because, as I mentioned, Mitch McConnell uh, currently has the, the John R. Lewis Voting Rights Act, um, you know, uh, in his possession. And it's kind of up to him whether the Voting Rights Act moves on or not. Um, but I'm bringing that up in the, in the context of women's basketball because we heard that, that, that those days of reflection for the WNBA were a recommitment to social justice. And I got the sense from being around the Zoom circuit, as I like to call it, that some of the players in the league felt that there was going to be more time together Lasia Clarendon, who you'll hear from on this episode, felt that they they started the Social Justice Council, but maybe just didn't guide the steps or um, mark the path of that Social Justice Council well enough prior to entering the wobble. Um, so there were some things that needed to be reclaimed uh, to reclaim time for the push for social justice. And one of the things that came from that is a refocus on voting as one of the pillars of the 2020 Wobble season. Here's Sue Bird talking a little bit about some of the things that happened as part of that recommitment. This is me asking her for some clarification on what happened in uh, in the, the hours and the days following the, um, the days of reflection. Was it something that um, the teams discussed and maybe that, or the players discussed in that players only meeting um, to have each team really focus in on filling out the census for those who are eligible and filling out uh, or voting, registering to vote. Is that definitely happened? Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, in the players only meeting or just, so like, I don't know if it happened in that meeting um, exactly, but right away we wanted to make sure, and it's been something we've talked about, like we need to get every single person in this league registered who is eligible to your point. Um, so immediately we sent out links in like, I mean, guys, the group chats we've got going, so many group chats and, and it really is the best way. So immediately we sent out links, we sent out those scan codes where literally all you have to do is scan it and it tells you it, your registration status, 
there's another one you scan, you fill it out, you get to get, you know, you get quickly get registered. It's that simple. Um, so yeah, we wanted our league first and foremost to, to be, you know, you got to be examples. If you're going to, you got to practice what you preach, I guess is the easiest way to say it. So yeah, that definitely happened. I'm asking if you've talked about the Voting Rights Act of 2020, the renewal for it. No, um, that's not something we've talked about like as a larger group. Um, I think it's definitely something that we're trying to educate ourselves on. And that's, that's really been the beauty of all of this is that whatever you guys have seen us come out with, you know, whatever we're talking about, whatever, you know, who, whichever woman we're honoring, there's been a lead up of education to that point. And so that's where we are now. I think we are in that moment where we want to, in terms of, you know, obviously telling people to get out to vote, but then it's like, what do you want to vote for? What do you want to support? What kind of candidate? So we are in that process, um, not just the Voting Rights Act, but, but other ones as well, where we're kind of educating ourselves and seeing where we want to, you know, come together, align and, and push it forward. And for those of you who've been listening uh, thank you so much for being with us here on Locked on Women's Basketball. But if this is if, if you've heard me do the social justice episode weekly kind of focus on social justice, then you know that there's been a lot of education that's happened in the WNBA around social justice and injustice and racism and all, all of those things that we know build upon one another to make this a very difficult country to live in as, as a black person, as a black body. And the reason I played that clip is because Sue breaks it down, talking about that there's a lot of education. Nothing that goes out from the WNBA is not first something that the players themselves weren't able to learn about firsthand. And so in the next few clips, you'll hear me talking to other WNBA players that are reinforcing exactly what Sue Bird said. I want to also, though, talk about some of the things that, that, let me put it this way. When we're talking about racism in this country as a black person, as a black woman, I get the sense that a lot of people want me to recount my trauma. And here's why I'm not going to do that. I think facts are facts, and that's important. Like, Jacob Blake was shot in the back seven times. That is a fact. But I think you have to also, if even for your own sanity, but also to build a case for humanity, it's important to show that black people are already a part of the fabric of this country. Because apparently, <laughs> that is being contested. Which, to me... Um, even doing a, a quick breeze over history, uh, you're finding your own history, I should say. Um, we know that's not true. I spoke to Jasmine Thomas of the Connecticut Sun about some of the ways that the Connecticut Sun, through their Change Can't Wait platform, focus on what black businesses, what black women are doing in the community. And there's one amazing feature that they did on a woman that owns a brewery. And I asked Jasmine about that. Here's what she had to say. What I wanted to ask is about the other side of the coin. Unfortunately, uh, as we all know, a lot of times we're talking about trauma in Black communities. But the Connecticut Sun, along with a lot of other teams, have also been able to highlight Black businesses and also voting uh, rights and, and voter education. I would love to talk about 
um, your involvement in some of what we've seen on social media and um, how you think that fits into some of what we saw transpire in the last several days? Um, for me, I think through the Change Camp Wait campaign that we have with The Sun has allowed me to really, you know, it's overwhelming sometimes trying to figure out everything that you can do, how you can make the most amount of impact and stay consistent. So that campaign that we launched has really helped me kind of stay focused and be able to, you know, still do my job, still go to practice, still have this crazy schedule, but also still find a way to make a difference. And um, for something that I've embraced the most is highlighting um, the black owned businesses in Connecticut. And most recently, that was uh, Rhythm Brewing. Uh, we've also done um, Blazing Deeds Barbecue, and, and that's something that we'll continue to do uh, moving forward. But we do have, um, you know, we have an advisory council that, you know, guides us in, in what is the right approach to take. So uh, the emphasis on voting has been the biggest thing because we know just how important that is at, at every level. Um, and you know, with the election coming up in November, we're really trying to push and make sure that people show up to the polls. And, and, and that's the, the most that we can do. Uh, uh, and so again, it's, I, and I, I tweeted this, you know, I, I put out a 50-50 challenge. If you're going to show black trauma, also show black joy. And I wanted to make sure to let Jasmine speak about black joy. But I also asked her about John Lewis and the Voting Rights Act. So here's what Jasmine had to say. And I just one quick one uh, with that as well. Have there been any conversations about the um, being able to uplift the Voting Rights Act, which unfortunately did not, the renewal did not get passed through before um, John Lewis, uh, civil rights leader John Lewis passed. Um, there hasn't been a specific conversation with that, but um, you know, as far as like just with the voting by mail, that's been something that we've, you know, put an emphasis on is making sure that that is available because it's going to be important and that those ballots are counted, that they're allowed, that they're sorted, that they're delivered. Um, and, uh, just checking your status and making sure you're registered. As far as the, the, the act, we haven't, I haven't had too much conversation about it. Thank you, Jasmine. And I'm not going to play every clip of me asking about John Lewis, but in the media availability days that followed the days of reflection, I did ask as many players as I could about John Lewis, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, because I know that they're uplifting voting. Um, in the next segment, you're going to hear from Chelsea Gray of the Los Angeles Sparks. And we'll end the show on some really great um, pieces that Leisha Clarendon gave us. And, uh, you know, he, he gave us some just amazing things. And I'm really thankful that they were able to, uh, to break down not only the difference between being an advocate and an organizer, but... Leja was also able to give us a little bit of wobble tea. You know I like a little tea, so we can't um, end an episode without some tea. The topic of the episode has been, of course, social justice, but more specifically talking about voting rights. And there is one player that this week, uh, coming off of the reflection time, um, has been able to really take to heart the refocus and um, the 
charge to lead conversations when it comes to voting rights. That is Chelsea Gray. It was announced this week that Chelsea Gray is starting the Chelsea Gray Assist for Equality program. And this is retroactive, but Chelsea herself is donating $50 per assist during the 2020 season to Equality California and Rock the Vote. The Los Angeles Sparks also announced on the 28th that they will be matching her donation. So that is $100 per assist uh, for all of 2020. So retroactive to the start of the season. So as of today, by my count, not really my count, it's by the WNBA website, Chelsea Gray has tallied 81 assists, so multiply that by 100. That's $8,100 to be donated to Rock the Vote and Equality California. Let's hear from Chelsea about this partnership and why Rock the Vote and Equality California resonated with her. Yeah, thank you guys all for being here. Um, I appreciate it. Um, just very simply put, I'm uh, partnering with the Sparks, Equality California, and Rock the Vote, um, empowering people to go out and vote, educating our youth, um, educating Black and Brown people that have been marginalized kind of with, with voting, um, the LGBTQ plus community as well, and the Hoopers Initiative with um, Rock the Vote. So um, just partnering with them, trying to get the, trying to get people educated on voting, the importance of voting um, and all levels. And um, I'm excited with this partnership to, you know, kind of help push along things in California and all over the United States. And so that's Chelsea Gray talking about her um, assists program. Again, already $8,000 in the bank, so to speak, uh, Los Angeles has already clinched a playoff spot, so that number is only going to go up. Before we close out the show, I want to play a clip from Lasia Clarendon. Lasia, first of all, did a great job explaining the difference between organizing advocacy and being an activist. And I think that's extremely important to remember. And I think the WNBA is also starting to realize and differentiate there. And I think perhaps... For some, the days of reflection have allowed players to recharge, knowing that this is a lot of work. It's, it's, it's truly professional jobs and life callings for people. Um, so to expect athletes to do it all is, is, is a high bar. Uh, so you'll hear Lasia talk about that, but then also hear Lasia react to the Social Justice Coalition in the NBA. And yes, as promised, that is your wobble tea for the episode. I'm laughing at Jackie Powell's face because there was the smugness I had there. Um, no, I haven't heard anybody. That's awesome that they're doing that. Um, but I haven't, I haven't heard anybody from their side of the group, you know, just, you know, lean like we do one uh, step at a time. I was wondering, jumping back a bit to the NBA Social Justice Coalition point, um, what advice do you have for uh, for the NBA as they enter uh, that kind of work and uh, just for other leagues also, if they do follow that example as well? Um, first and foremost, I would say um, the reasoning behind your council, so what you want to get out of it, what you want to accomplish. Um, 
it's amazing that we knew we wanted one, but then it was kind of like we took a pause and said like, well, who do we want to put on it and why are they on it? And so the structure of your council, um, be really intentional about why the people you're picking on it and what goal do you have? So for us, we ended up having our internal group of like um, the league folks and the players. And then we have our advisors who are like on it, but it's kind of like a circles or layers, if you will. So I would be really intentional about why you're doing it. Um, and then I would know organizing takes time and that's not an excuse. I think it's a, it's knowing that it's a long game. And so there's little things that can impact stuff right away, right? Like donating $50 million, which is amazing, which our owners have done over, and that's gonna go into effect over a long time. But then there's like the slower grade things that you're gonna do that might be like policy change or doing things around voting. And so just being intentional about your strategy and the things you approach that you're trying to attack. That'd be, I think, the advice. And I gave you a little bit of wobble tea, but we're going to have to cool it off just a little bit because as we speak, unfortunately, there is another incident that is making rounds in the news media. Seven officers have been suspended for their involvement with the ultimate death of a man in Rochester through asphyxiation. I should say um, that Daniel Prude died seven days after an encounter with local law enforcement that placed a spit hood over him and over his head. And according to reports, he asked for that hood to be removed. Police were on call for a 911 call. Uh, Prude was suffering from mental health issues and some, some type of an episode at the time that the officers were called. Seven officers, uh, we, the news has come out, um, have been suspended because of their involvement in the actions that ultimately led to Daniel's death. Um, this encounter with law enforcement happened back in March, at the end of March. And just recently, the officers have been reprimanded and I don't know. I don't know if we'll get another few days of reflection. I, I tend to doubt it. Um, I, I really do. And I think there are a lot of reasons for that and a lot of them practical reasons. And, and that's why it's important to honor the strides that athletes take while also honoring the limitations. And I think that's why Leisha's point was so salient for me. Because I, I really don't think we're going to see another stoppage. Um is it because this incident happened months ago and, and we're just now hearing of uh, the, the officers being suspended? I'm not sure. Will it make a difference if someone else dies of injuries that they suffered because officers put a, a spit hood on them? I don't know. Nothing seems big enough and nothing seems uh, small when it comes to racial justice, social justice. I don't have answers, but that is why I've committed one of my shows a week to talking about social justice. Um, in the words of Ella Baker, we who believe in freedom cannot rest. So thank you, as always, for listening to Locked on Women's Basketball. Um, we're going to keep talking about this as long as players and athletes are talking about it, as long as players and athletes and their families are affected. Um, I am committed to talking about it. And unfortunately, like episodes like today, we're not always going to have um, 
we're not, we're not always going to re- be able to report all good news, and we're not always going to be able to report uh, definitive actions and answers. But having the conversation is a part of the work, so don't forget that. Uh, and don't forget to take your days of reflection as well. That's just as important. This is Erica Ayala, and you're listening to Locked On Women's Basketball. Until next week.